Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us bad. My name is Bill, this is episode 311. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. That's right, I've been doing this 311 times, and you all have been listening for insert number of times here. Don't we all feel kind of bad for ourselves right now? Well, let's get over it, because we've got an awesome show today in a world that is um, simultaneously bigger and somehow also smaller than it was the last time I recorded, because we've got the pictures from the James Webb Telescope showing us that the galaxy is a much bigger, brighter, well, really 1980s place than we even suspected it was because of that Stranger Things song that everybody's raving about from the 1980s. The, the recent pictures from the Webb Telescope with all the uh, multicolored stars and everything really just looks like the star field from the, uh, the 1980s in television title Space Battle. Or, if you prefer, for you Doctor Who nerds like me, the 1980s era title sequence for the, uh, for the sixth Doctor era of the show. The star field there looks very much like this too. So, really, uh, all that's happening is we're being uh, being reinforced with the idea that we're just living through the 1980s again, right? The Kate Bush song from Stranger Things, record high inflation we haven't seen in 40 years, which would put us right about in the 1980s again. What else? Uh, the, the Doctor Who title sequence, similarities. I saw a thing about the B-52s being on tour again today. We're really just living in the 1980s again. I cannot wait to pull out my members-only jacket, and put it on over my Greatest American Hero costume. I don't have a members-only jacket anymore, but I do. I can see it right now in my closet, in my office here, have a Greatest American Hero costume, because of course I do. So, don't feel bad about your flock of seagulls haircut. Don't feel bad that, you know, about your Ronald Reagan poster on the wall. Okay, maybe feel a little bit bad about that. Don't feel bad about... You know what? Just don't feel bad about anything, because the world kind of sucks right now. So just be happy in whatever way you can, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else. Just be a good person. Wow, that took a turn. One way you can be a good person, here, this is me desperately segueing, is playing video games. Because the other thing that's happened since I recorded last was that Wall Street Journal article's been floating around. The one that tells us that not only do, uh, do video games not rot your brain, uh, they actually may have benefits, which I really hope is true. Because my younger kid, Henry, my cameraman, has spent most of the summer so far playing Minecraft. And I do worry about that as a dad, but at the same time, one, it keeps him busy. And two, if you've ever played Minecraft, there's a hell of a lot of thinking that goes on to play that game. You're not just running around killing things. Occasionally you have to take out a zombie. But most of the time, you're like trying to figure out, okay, I need some coal to fire the furnace so that I can smelt the ore and build an axe and stuff like that. And then you use the axe to kill the zombies. But still, to get to that point, there's a lot of preparation involved. So of the games he could be playing, for educational value, this one's not a bad one. And in the background... He always has science videos from YouTube on. That's what he watches on YouTube. He doesn't watch boobs, and he doesn't watch violence. He watches videos about how they build 
cars or why people have allergic reactions to things or insert scientific concept here work so i got no complaints so wall street journal i already knew that video games weren't rotten my kid's brain at least i was pretty sure so keep on playing those video games i don't know if games like cosmic swarm the game we're playing today is quite on par with minecraft for educational value but i mean it's got bugs in it and henry watches videos about bugs so we have that in common all right if you guys have thoughts about the web telescope or brain rot or video games let me know oh hey before we go on i did see a little bit of atari news that i feel compelled to mention because it combines two of my favorite things atari and lego i can't remember if i knew this already but there is a lego rendering of an atari console 2600 console coming out this year and this article that i saw gives a little bit more description of what we can expect to get um, this is an article from videogameschronicle.com apparently the new set is going to be 2,532 parts, comes out on August 1st, and will sell for $239.99 EU. According to the article, prices in other places, like uh, the U.S., have not been set yet. The article says that LEGO Atari 2600 comes with three cartridges with games Asteroids, Adventure, and Centipede, according to something called Promo Bricks. The special feature here, and I'm quoting here, the game cartridges can apparently be converted into small vignettes, 8x8, to match the game themes they contain. In addition to that, you can remove a section of the roof of the console, I guess that just means the, the top of the console, to reveal a scene within the machine itself. Quote, you can see a typical 80s youth room, a minifigure sitting on the floor with a joystick in his hand and playing asteroids on a tube TV. There's a mini Atari in front of the television, Various posters are hanging on the room wall. There's a ghetto blaster, an old-fashioned telephone, and a white cat. This is all according to Promo Bricks. This all sounds very cool. I, I will, of course, have to have this. I have so many Lego sets that I haven't put together. For Father's Day, I got the, the awesome Sesame Street set. I've got an office set, a, a knockoff, not, not an official Lego brand. There is an official Lego set of The Office coming soon. That looks really cool. I've got a, a Doctor Who set. I've got in a box somewhere. Uh, I've had this thing for years. I've got at least one Indiana Jones thing. I think I've got a Star Wars thing somewhere. I really like these sets, but I never have time, never give myself time to just sit and put them together. This one, th this Lego Atari thing, I might have to move to the top of the list and find some time to do it because I do an Atari podcast. Maybe I'll make some sort of a, a video or something. Maybe Henry and I could do something with that. More news as it develops. All right, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Cosmic Swarm, but you already knew that. For the 2600, this is a Comavid title from 1982. See, 1980s again, my goodness. The cover of the manual is a you know bright primary color, basic cartoony drawing. I keep, what it brings to mind for me is, for whatever reason, the 1960s Spider-Man TV series. I keep expecting Spidey to uh, leap over this green wall that this one termite is building. And then there's a, a very basic early 80s rendering of a spaceship apparently blowing on the termites because whatever's coming out of the nose cone of this ship doesn't look like lasers to me. It just looks like the lines that a cartoonist would draw if someone is blowing really hard. <sighs> That's me heavy breathing on you if you're into that sort of thing. The manual tells us 
The immense Waypoint Interstellar Trade Depot floats with its small crew at a distant crossroads. Pretty sure that should be one word, crossroads, but they haven't split into two words. Anyway, between the stars, it should be a quiet place to command, but beware. A dormant colony of giant alien mineral-eating termites hidden in ore holding section. Hold on. Hidden in ore, O-R-E, holding section 7. Okay. Let's start that sentence again. But beware. A dormant colony of giant alien mineral-eating termites hidden in ore holding section 7 have awakened. Exclamation point. I think the problem is ore holding section 7 should really be hyphenated. Oh, well. The termites capital T, termites, invade the main power conversion chamber and begin assembling a haphazard nest. Your crew is working feverishly, opening crates of tiny remote-controlled planetary probe ships. It's up to you to pilot a fragile probe ship into the power chamber and clear out the invaders before they jam it totally. Jam it totally was the name of my college rock band, by the way. By docking with your refueling ship when necessary and by energizing the nest blocks so your probe ship's fire can destroy them, you may be able to prevail against the invaders and save Waypoint. Alright, I have a number of issues with this setup. One, Waypoint, way better title for this game than Cosmic Swarm. The other issue I have is, we're being told that you're, that these are mini, where is it, tiny probe ships. Opening crates of tiny remote controlled planetary probe ships. So I guess in the game, you're not actually in the ship that is firing on these termites. But we're also told that the termites are giant, so wouldn't a normal size ship be appropriate? I guess, having said that, when you guys look at the video of the field report, which you can do if you are a $3 per month supporter on Patreon.com, or when you hear me talk about it in the audio field report later in the show, the ship is definitely a lot smaller than the termites. So, I guess? But given how big the termites are, wouldn't it make more sense just to get a regular size ship and take them out? I don't know. I have many issues with the setup, but let's move on. Getting started. Turn off your game console. Do it. Do it now. Insert the Cosmic Swarm cartridge. Plug in your uh, controller. Turn on the console. Select the game skill level, which, as you guys know, I never ever pay attention to. I have no idea right now what my A and B switches are set at. But in this game, it does make a difference. The A position is expert. The B position is novice. They recommend for the beginner, set both switches to B. Novice set left to A, right to B. Challenger set left to B, right to A. Expert set both switches to A, all of which you could have figured out yourself. Hold the joystick with the red button in the upper left-hand corner. I still want that on a t-shirt. I'm picturing like a white t-shirt with black lettering, kind of like in this manual here. But I could imagine more of a, a calligraphy thing, make it more poetic somehow. I don't know. Someday I'll make that shirt. Start the game by pressing the game reset switch which you also could have figured out yourself. Use the left joystick controller to control your probe ship. They have a helpful little diagram, two of them actually, for how you move your ship. One of the downfalls of this game, to my mind, is the controls are unnecessarily complicated, even with the basic joystick. When the red button, you know, stay with me here. When the red button is up, pushing the joystick will move the probe ship horizontally, vertically, or diagonally. Great, got it. But they also give us a, ye a yellow diagram here with a bunch of arrows out from a, a central point in various directions. Up and to the left, up and to the right, down to the left, down to the right, up and down. Okay, it's pretty intuitive. Here's where it gets weird. When the red button is down, pushing on the joystick will move the probe ship vertically, rotate the direction of the ship, or do both at the same time. Uh, okay. The probe ship's gun will fire when the red button is released, 
if a new bolt is fired while an old one is in flight, the old one is destroyed. Only one bolt can be in flight at a time. They give us another diagram with little curved arrows indicating rotating the ship, spinning it around so that it's pointing in different directions, basically, um, which you need to do at certain times. If the ter termite is behind you now, you need to be able to turn your ship so that you're pointing at it behind you, which is once you turn now in front of you, so you can shoot it. But if you shoot it, only fire one shot and wait for that thing to land before you fire another one or the, you've wasted the first shot. I hate all of this already. Gameplay. If your probe ship touches a termite or any of the nest blocks they lay down, it will be instantly destroyed. Termites can be destroyed by hitting them with a bolt from your ship. Nest blocks will stop your ship's bolts without being destroyed unless they are energized. The game begins with a reserve force of three probe ships displayed at the top of the screen by the right of the score. To the right of the score. A new ship is earned for every 100 points earned. Up to six ships can be held in reserve. When the last probe ship is destroyed, the game ends. You must occasionally refuel your ship. A warning sound will alert you when your fuel is low. A refueling ship will then slowly travel down and back up the left or right edge of the screen. The game ends if you fail to dock with the refueling ship before it returns to the top of the screen, regardless of how many ships you have in reserve. That part might seem unfair, and maybe it is. In most games, if you didn't refuel in time, you would lose that ship and move on to the next one. This one even if you got five ships in reserve, if you don't go over and refuel when that ship so shows up, you're dead. Game's over. Seems kind of unfair. I kind of like it because it adds a little extra drama, a little extra uh, tension to the game. If a termite is carrying a block and it is hit squarely on the bottom of the block, both the termite and its block are destroyed. The remaining blocks then turn from green to red or become a darker gray on a black and white TV. Remember, this is 1982. Very likely... A lot of people are still playing on black and white TVs. Out of curiosity, I'd be curious, because it's out of curiosity, how many of you guys, when you were playing as kids, were playing on black and white TVs, and how long it was in your gaming life before you got to play a game, uh, an Atari game, on a color TV, and what that transition was like. So let me know. Hit me up on social media, send me an email, send me an audio, whatever you like. The thing about turning the blocks from green to red... I had a hard time. I would swear that I was, when this would happen, I was shooting, but nothing was happening. Even when the blocks were energized, I wasn't really able to destroy them. At least it didn't feel like it. Whenever your bolts destroy a termite, unless you hit the termite on the bottom of a block it is carrying, all blocks are de-energized and become impossible to destroy. In this state, they are green, lighter gray on a black and white set. You get a point for hitting a termite not carrying a block. Hitting a termite that is carrying a block if the bottom of the block is not hit is worth two points. If the bottom of the block is hit, that's three points, and hitting an energized red block is one point. By scoring properly, an observant and skillful player can earn bonus points 100 or 200 at a time. These bonus points do not, however, count toward earning extra probe ships. Um, we've talked about the difficulty switches already, and then we're told Comavid is a different kind of game company, formed by a group of professionals from computing and the physical sciences. We believe that our experience outside the consumer electronics market will aid us in developing interesting products for our consumers. New electronic products are like presents. Sometimes it's nice to get what you want, and other times a surprise is welcome. That sounds a little pretentious to me. By combining our own ideas and reactions of our customers, we hope to create some pleasantly surprising new products. To help us do this, we would like both your reactions to this game and any suggestions you would care to pass along for our new games or other computer-based consumer products. We will read everything you send to the address below and answer as often as we can. 
Unless you request otherwise, we will include you in our list for mailings of advance information about our new releases. The next time you are shopping for fun and games, remember to look for Comavid. Oh, hey, I just noticed the the, uh, graphic in their logo, Comavid, is a TV with a little curly thing on the bottom, so it looks like a comma, like in a sentence. That's kind of cool in a totally irrelevant to video games way. All right. With Kamavid's mission to create fun and games and sometimes give you what you want and sometimes give you what they think you want because they know better, look at what other people have said about Cosmic Swarm. Oh, but hey, first let's do this message from Sean. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. 8-Bit Central gave Cosmic Swarm 3.5 out of 5, They say that the game seems like it tries to add too many elements into its gameplay. Combined with the unintuitive joystick control, many may give up on the game. I'd encourage you to put in some more time and see if you don't enjoy it once its play becomes broke. This is part of Kamovit's plan to make engaging 2600 games. Atari Protos, after commenting that this game might have originally been called Bug, I don't know if that's true or not, if anyone can confirm that, let me know. They observed the Cosmic Swarm is an interesting little game with a few rough edges. One can see that Comavid was attempting to make games that were a little different than what was currently on the market. Unfortunately, Comavid didn't have the manpower or distribution to make much of an impact in the marketplace. One oddity of Cosmic Swarm is that the player instantly loses a life the second they start the game. For some reason, the player and all three termites start lumped together in the upper left corner. So when the game starts, the player touches all three termites and is instantly destroyed along with the termites. So I know why the unknown why the game does this since it doesn't happen in the prototype. I didn't have that issue. Maybe I've got the prototype version. I don't know. But that was not a thing that I noticed. If other people did notice it, let me know. According to the internet, Comavid was a game developer and publisher of the 2600. They released six games between 81 and 83 and a programming tool for the console. Founded by Dr. Irwin Danes, Dr. John Bronstein, and Dr. Joseph Beal. Under the game Computer Magic Video, shortened to Comavid or comma, oh, comma-vid, or comma-vid, based in Aurora, Illinois. They also ported the arcade game Venture to the 2600 for Coleco. The games they released were Cakewalk, Cosmic Swarm, Minds of Minos, Room of Doom, and Stronghold. I think I've done Minds of Minos. I think I've done Cakewalk in the show, too. And Cosmic Swarm now, of course. I'm not familiar with Stronghold. Magicard was their 2600 programming tool that came on a cartridge and a 100-page manual that was only available via mail order. 50 to 100 magic cartridges were produced. If anyone had one, let me know. They also had a thing called Video Life available via mail order if you owned Magicard. 
fewer than 20 cartridges of Video Life were made, and they sold for as much as $3,000 at the time. It's a version of the cellular autom automaton known as Conway's Game of Life. I don't know what any of this is. If anyone can enlighten me on this, let me know. Among their unreleased prototypes were Frog Demo, Mission Omega, Rush Hour, and Underworld. I don't know if any of those are available to play anywhere. If you're curious, Digit Press has an interview with Dr. John Bronstein. Oh, actually the interview includes uh, Bronstein, Joseph Beale, and Erwin Gaines. All three of them, I guess. So go check that out. It's titled The Story of Comavid on digitpress.com. Among other things, they quote Bronstein as saying, quote, Erwin was the creative one, Joe was the professional one, and I was the one who was neither. In 2002, the rights to the Comavid name were purchased by Digital Press, who subsequently released Rush Hour, a near-complete but previously unreleased Comavid title. All right, so I guess maybe that one is out there somewhere. If anyone's played it, let me know. Well, that's all fine, but this episode is all about the bugs, right? So what are we dealing with? Termites, my friend. Termites, the internet tells us, are eusocial, E-U-S-O-C-I-A-L, insects. Eusociality, coming from the Greek for good and social, is defined by being a cooperative brood, offering cooperative brood care, including care of offspring from other individuals, overlapping generations within a colony of adults, and division of labor into reproductive and non-reproductive groups. So termites are social creatures, basically. They were once classified in a separate order from cockroaches, but recent phylogenetic studies indicate they evolved from cockroaches. They are often called white ants, but they are not ants. Don't do that for trying out loud. And are not closely related to ants. However, light ants and some bees and wasps from the separate order Hymenoptera termites divide as workers and soldiers that are usually sterile. All colonies have fertile males called kings and one or more fertile females called queens. They mostly feed on dead plant material and cellulose, generally in the form of wood, leaf, litter, soil, or animal dung. Among the most successful group of insects on Earth, colonizing most land masses except Antarctica. Colonies ranging in size from a few hundred to several million. Gross. And termite tweens have the longest known lifespan of any insect, with some tweens reportedly living, Jesus, up to 30 to 50 years. Termites are a delicacy in the diet of some human cultures and are used in many traditional medicines. Okay, my goal in life now is to find out where people are eating termites and not to go there. Termites are consumed by a wide variety of predators. Birds, ants, centipedes, cockroaches, crickets, dragonflies, scorpions, spiders, lizards, frogs, toads, aardvarks, aard wolves, which I didn't know was a thing. I gotta look that up. An insectivorous mammal in the family Hyanidae, native to East and Southern Africa. I can kind of see it. I can look at a picture here. I can kind of see a, maybe being a cross between an aardvark and a wolf. Sure. You need to know if you've got termites because they do cause a hell of a lot of damage to property. The EPA website, epa.gov, has information on how to identify them. Examine exposed wood for hollow spots using a flathead screwdriver or similar tools. Identify termite swarms. Sometimes ant swarms are mistaken as termites. Their front wings are longer than their hind wings, and their antennae are bent at 90 degree angles. Wings roughly equal in length. Oh, sorry. The, uh... Front wings longer than the hind wings and the antennae bent at 90 degree angles are ants. Termites have wings roughly equal in length with antennae that are straight and may droop. It's okay. Everybody's antennae droop at some point. All right. We learned a lot here today. And if you're like me, you're all kind of itchy now because you've got the creepy crawlies. But it's okay. Because after the break, swarm, my dudes. 
The rest of the show is cosmic, man. Henry, can you feel the swarming? Can you feel the cosmically swarming bugs crawling all over you? Mm -hmm. Oh, well I can. We're playing Cosmic Swarm today, so let's do that thing. Gratuitous shot of my head. Primary color ship that looks exactly like the ship of asteroids. Basically this game is asteroids with uh, bugs instead of meteorites. Whatever. And uh, the bugs keep leaving little bricks all over the place. I'm doing real badly because I'm talking while I'm playing. There's an extra layer of difficulty that asteroids doesn't have because if you run into those blocks, you're dead. Ship. I, I docked with it. I have fuel now. I think of the look of this game. Eh. I do not like this game very much, but I find it weirdly compelling. And I am dead. That's really all there is to the game, so I'll leave it there. I'm sure I'll have more to say about it in the uh, rest of the show. In the meantime, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, tarnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. Here's the thing about Cosmic Swarm. The game is frustrating a little bit, but it also has a lot of pleasant similarities to Asteroids, or maybe Centipede. Asteroids, certainly, your ship is the Asteroids ship, basically. It's a little frustrating, the whole push-the-button-don't-push-the-button thing to turn your ship around, but you kind of get used to that after a while. The place-in-the-blocks thing creates the similarities to Centipede, certainly. And I found, even though I was intellectually annoyed by the game, I kept playing. 
because uh, it was compelling somehow. Um, I like the thing where the refueling ship shows up, and if you don't refuel, you're you're dead. The game's over. Um, I thought that was a nice little twist. I recommend this game. I don't remember what I thought of Minds of Minos. I don't remember being impressed by it, but I don't remember hating it either, to be honest. That wasn't all that long ago. It was, well, almost a year ago. Episode 289, Minds of Minos, is where I played that one. Cakewalk was episode 294. So go check those episodes out, and then remind me what I said about those games. So this one I would recommend. Whatever I said about the other two. I would recommend this one. It's pretty basic looking. It is a little frustrating at first, but stick with it a little bit. And I found it an enjoyable game. And I think you will too. Comovid isn't paying me a dime to say that. Probably because they don't exist anymore. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story comes to us from Bad Poetry Corner. Battered by the cosmic swarm. Our reality, yours, mine, ours, swirls within and all around us. Politics, jobs, money, like pus, infects all within their power. Long dormant anger seeds flower. Abortion, insurrection, guns. COVID, monkeypox, Twitter, no fun. From the cosmic to the small, we exist in a vast stormy sea. Conspiracists swarm everyone. You can leave Twitter and Facebook, turn off Fox News and your cousin, but by not letting the world in, wearing that disaffected look, you empower the crap stew cooks. Vote, sure, but also educate. Protest's fine. Explaining is great. Yell if you must, but check sources. The swarm comes, goes, runs its courses. The world needs us sooner than late. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Acompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Infest Apple Podcasts with a five-star review of this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, do check us out on Instagram as well. Leave us a voicemail if you like. I'm never, ever going to answer the phone. Too busy swatting bugs, I guess. But you can leave me a message at 563-265-1978. I'll listen to it and I will probably play it on the show. You'll have to listen to find out. Check out the website, www, because that's how websites work, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to this show, Atari Bytes, and to my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. You can also find out about books that I've written, like Hell Serial and other very short stories fortified with essential syllables, and Second Duck on the Right and other very short stories, and much, much more. You might also consider supporting the show financially by making a continuing donation on Patreon.com. Atari Bytes has a page over there, and you can support the show. If you support the show, hold on, 
I don't know if the mic is picking that up or not, but that is me pouring a little bit more of a delightful beverage. No, not an expensive bourbon, though God, I wish it was. Just coffee, honest. If you support the show on Patreon.com, you can get stuff. You can get episodes early, for example. You can get video of the field report. Truly awful, amateurish video, to be sure, but video nonetheless. Once in a while, I put other stuff up there, too. Other videos or other little things that I think of that you guys might like. Um, And you can get access to that by being a supporter. At the $4 level, I don't talk about this very much, but at the $4 level per month, you can help program the show. Basically, you get all that other stuff, plus you get to help choose the games for the show. There's a game you'd like me to play, and I can get it reasonably easy. I will do it on the show, and you can claim credit for that. The other thing you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show is you get to be part of the exclusive club that includes these fine folks who have my thanks. Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Doble. Thanks to one and all. All right, we're about out of here because I'm drunk on my coffee. And so all that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're sticking with the 2600 for another episode where we'll play a game called Tunnel Runner. So I was looking at the uh, my production sheet for what I had put down to come next. This was the game, but I don't remember why. I must have heard of this somewhere. Maybe for one of you guys who does a podcast. Maybe you mentioned this on your show or something. I don't know where I got this name. I hope it actually exists. Uh, otherwise, the next show is going to be a lot of silence. So we'll find out together. Tunnel Runner for the 2600 next time on Atari Bytes. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.